The poet and playwright Oscar Wilde said, No great artist sees things the way they really are. If he did, he would cease to be an artist. So how do you see your reality? And how do you find your path to communicating your vision most effectively? In today's episode, I'm going to share a map that I've been working on that charts your way through the artistic realms and gives you a chance to explore areas that you might need to get to know as you develop your creative practice. Welcome to Starling. I'm Amy Markham. Thanks for joining me here to connect with your creative practice and your creative self. The last time we discussed things, we were talking about fear, both as a source for our artistic work and a reason that we stop producing things and don't reach our best potential. I hope you've had some time to confront those fears, and maybe you're even getting some good art production out of that last discussion. I do want to take a moment and thank those of you who reached out to me. I did have surgery on Monday for just another little small cancer, and everything looks good. I'm in the healing process, and it should be fine. So um, again, thanks to those of you who um, wished me well and had good thoughts and such. So anyway... Moving on, if you have been enjoying these conversations and practices, consider subscribing so you don't miss a topic. Maybe leave me a rating or a review as it helps this little blackbird keep singing. So as we get started today, I'm going to pass out my map. I want you to grab whatever you think you're going to need on this hike that we're about to embark on. I suggest you get a sturdy backpack to hold all the things that you might pick up along the way. I'm going to stick to the parts of the trail that I've already charted, but I'm going to assume that when you see somewhere you need to go, you're going to be willing to cut down the weeds and beat back the brush to explore wherever you think further exploration is needed. So I'm going to take you on an adventure through the artist realms, Um, the ones that I've been trying to map and chart for years now. I know a lot of my listeners are already advanced in their skill, and you've probably charted most of what's on the map I'm going to be passing out. But while I know some listeners uh, might be advanced, there's some others who probably need me to point out important landmarks along the way. So as we move forward, make sure you've got your compass and pack anything that you're going to need in the wilds of creativity that could assist you in orienteering. I hope you've got on good shoes, too. Let me show you the first steps towards understanding how to get to personal expression. By the way, I made this um, in my language. I'm a visual artist, and uh, I know this could easily be translated through other forms of creative expression, but if you're listening today, I'm totally speaking in visual artist. But if you are a writer, musician, dancer, or synchronized swimmer, or what have you, Um, I would love to know what your translation is. I'd love to hear it. So listen along and see if it's the same. All right. So as we get started, you must be prepared to be observant. As in the first realm, we are developing observational skills. 
This is observation. Look around. In a visual arts practice, this means that we're working from observation as a skill here in the beginning. Think of this as a still life, contour lines, things like that. Maybe you set things up in front of you and you practice learning to draw them as many things as you can. And once you've drawn all those things, then you go outside and you start to sketch what the world around you looks like and what the people you see look like. And you learn how to really look at lines and then how those lines develop into shapes and then how the shadows make those shapes look like real forms. In this territory, we're learning how to see like an artist. We're training our hands and eyes to work together. These observational drawing practices and exercises make us develop our attention to how we translate what we're looking at. It helps us develop confidence in these skills, too. Let me just say, if you have not spent a good amount of time here in the land of observation, working with drawing from what you see, I suggest that you grab your sketchbook and some drawing materials and give yourself a good amount of time in this part of the map. In my middle school art class, we almost always start the year off with a study of contour lines, you know, the lines that define the edge of an object and some of the defining details that can be translated with line. Then we move forward from line to shape, as lines make shape. We learn to add value to things. Um, think about a circle and how adding value to that can make it look three-dimensional, turning it into a sphere, even though it's still a 2D form, actually, because it's on paper. But an artist can work with what they see and trick the eye of the viewer and make them feel like they're looking at 3D forms. Once my students have gotten those basic forms like cubes and spheres and cylinders and such, we start to see those forms in still lives. And I'll set up something in the room, say for example, a bunch of rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll start to try to draw that from the shapes that we've learned and the forms that we've created. So if you're advanced, you've probably done a lot of these things before. Um, but if it's been a while since you've set up a still life, maybe you want to do that again. It's good to keep those skills fresh. So whether you're a beginner or advanced, I'm going to offer a practice here in this land that might help you. Let's consider this a personal still life. I would suggest that you pick out three to five things that tell the viewer something about you. And give yourself maybe an hour to do this as a pencil drawing. Don't spend forever on it. Just try. If you do this exercise, I would love to see the results that you come up with. You can send it to me on Twitter at Art Teacher Amy or on Instagram at The Starling Creative. Put it on my Facebook page, Starling Creative Living. I'd really like to see what my listeners are like. And a personal still life gives me a chance to get to know them. So once you have the lay of the land in this part of the map, once you feel pretty confident in your observational skills, then you can venture towards memory. If you have worked from observation a lot, you've built up a lot of visual memory and muscle memory too in how to draw things. And now you can start to put that to work. Here, you are allowed more personal expression too. Your natural style will start to emerge and shine here. I often ask students to do what I call a daily memory drawing. 
this is just a quick way to um, start getting comfortable with working from drawing from your memory. At some point during your day, just pause and make a visual memory snapshot in your head. Like maybe before you leave your bathroom after you brush your teeth in the morning. Just pause and take in everything that you can in that space and hold it in your mind. And then make sure you notice things like um, the relationship between stuff too, like how far the sink is from the toilet and where the soap is on the counter, things like that. Once you've got that and you leave the space, when you're no longer in it some other time later in your day, I want you to try to recall that space, recall that visual snapshot that you made and sketch it quickly. In this case, I would not say you want to spend more than five minutes doing this. Because while you're trying to remember as much detail as you can, this isn't about seeing if you can do all these little drawing details. It's about recalling that physical space and translating it into 2D form. So try that. Try some of those daily memory drawings and see if you can build that memory drawing muscle. Then Working with memory and drawing from memory increases your spatial understanding. It connects your skills to your experiences, and it'll lead you to more of a personal translation in your image making as well. Here, you are building on skills that you acquired back there in the land of observation, and you're just making it much more flexible here. Memory also asks us to capture mood and emotion. There are feelings around memory, and an artist can bring in that content as well when they're working in this realm. Think about a childhood memory, maybe of a summer sleepover, or the first snow of the season, or something like the greatest heartbreak you've ever had, or some big loss. These are moments that we recall in our minds, and we pull them from a place in time through to where we are now to create a physical representation as a way to document our relationship to those experiences. How we illustrate emotions here are just as important as the spaces, items, and people that you're trying to illustrate. Here, memory asks us to consider things like color and composition and layers and texture in an effort to communicate something that would otherwise only be alive in our own thoughts and memories. Now, if you want to work with this, maybe try to draw what you think a moment from your childhood looks like in your memories. But really, don't worry about the details as much as trying to capture the feeling of that memory and see what you get. Once you've learned what memory has available, you can work towards moving into imagination. At this point, your skills are probably keenly developed in both observation and execution. You have gathered your awareness of your natural style. Now, whether you like your natural style is a whole other topic completely, and we'll try to talk about that one one day. Continuing to revisit observation and memory are important to maintaining your practice. But at this moment, we're going to walk across the bridge and over into imagination. Some of our memories may be layered with imagination anyway, right? So this is a wonderful realm. Welcome to imagination where all sorts of doors can open and connections can be made. Here is where we ask our creative self to start to play 
and engage with subconsciousness and universal unconsciousness and the spiritual and all the dimensions that are surrounding our reality. This is that trip to the land of make-believe that we must be willing to go on. We can make this whatever we want, which is why it often scares away some people and they never make it fully across the bridge. They tend to stay in observation and memory. Here we begin to combine things in a new way, and we really invite creative thinking to ignite the flames within. I suggest that you be willing to set up camp here for a while. Build a fire from those sparks that you're getting. Free association and open-ended thought allow the artist limitless possibilities to play with. It gives us the chance to envision new ways to solve problems and can personalize our life experiences. This is where real magic begins to happen, and it's where I'm really interested in seeing more people explore. Through discovering our imagination, we start to bring the ideas that we've only had as thought forms in our mind into this physical reality. And I know this sounds like magic, right? And it is. This is the purest form of magic that I know. An artist who really learns their way around imagination can build entire worlds. When you think of someone like Stan Lee, who invented an entire universe that we all know, what he did was he got over there into his land of make-believe and he mined it for everything it had to offer. He brought each little chunk of that discovery across that bridge and back into the physical world so that we could all engage in his imagination. This is easy to see in some artist works. When you think about someone like J.K. Rowling or George Lucas, um, or even in the work of architects, think about the work of Zaha Hadid or I.M. Pei. Novels and films help participants easily access the imagination of the artist, and architects literally build the world we see from the visions that they got in their imagination. Musicians create soundscapes that build vivid moods and textures for listeners to live within. When you're walking around with those earbuds in listening to your favorite songs, you're living in part of the world that that musician has created from their imagination. When I think about art, uh, visual art, installation art comes to mind. It's probably the most easily accessible for participants to engage with. Think about uh, Kasuma's infinity rooms, the mirrored rooms that look like you're in infinity. If you haven't seen those, you should totally check them out. They're amazing. Um, So take a moment here and think, whose imagination do you truly appreciate? It can be a writer, director, artist, musician, whatever. Is there anyone who has built a world that you really like to play in? And maybe their world can even help you get more fully into your own imagination. Art can do that, and I know you know what I mean here. If you have ever binge-watched anything or stayed up through the night to read a book that you couldn't put down, it's because you were appreciating someone else's imagination and their world-building. Sometimes we like being in those worlds so much that we don't want to leave them. And that's why places like Disney World and Universal Studios are even a thing. Universal built the wizarding world, so those of us who wanted to physically interact with that place get to do it now. And it all just started as thoughts in J.K. Rowling's head. 
if I think of a visual artist who's capable of doing this for me, it would have to be Rothko. Standing in front of a Rothko painting can be a nearly out-of-body experience. It can pull me into the world that he's building in those color fields, and it helps me get into my own. I guess maybe he's building a portal from his imagination through to expression. I wish I could thank him for that. So let's just step into that portal, and we'll move from imagination and end up in expression. So once we get here, I'm going to need you to check your backpacks. I need you to look in there and make sure you've got everything that you picked up in the land of observation and over in memory and back there in the world of your imagination. Because by the time we make it here into the land of expression, you've got to be pretty comfortable. You've got to be at ease with your own natural expression and inclinations. You're done with worrying about whether your style is okay. Because this is where we really start to explore. Once we reach expression, there is higher thought that is ready to be expressed through us. And the self-awareness that we've gained in the adventure in the other artistic realms will come to our aid. Here, abstraction takes us to new levels of expressing things, things that can't be shared in words or with concrete images, but only through providing communication with or experience of an idea. In this part of the map, our creative flow really takes over and it directs us. It becomes like second nature, and in a a split second, you're co-creating with the muse. And I want you to think of artists like um, like Basquiat and Miro. And, oh, if you have not seen the work of the Swedish painter Hilma Afklint, she is a really great example of this. You should look her up as soon as you get back to reality. A recent exhibition of hers was at the Guggenheim, and it broke records. That is the most visited exhibition the museum has ever had. Interestingly, um, she died in 1944, and her will required that the abstract work she had been creating not be shared for at least 20 years after her death. Maybe it was because she knew she was painting for a different time in history, because now, 42 years later, the public is responding with great enthusiasm to her unique and courageous pieces. Of Clint was working in a new expressive form that actually predates the pioneers we think of when we think of abstraction. She was working before people like Kandinsky and Mondrian. I look to her as inspiration when I think that maybe my own personal expression isn't going to meet an audience. (laughs) Maybe it's because my expressive work is meant for a different generation. It's at least motivating and inspiring to consider that, even if it isn't true. Our authentic connection to our personal life experience can result in powerful work when we are living in expression, in full expression. And this part, this realm, takes a lifetime to explore. And we should continue to explore it throughout our entire lifetime. This is not something that we set out to figure out over a weekend or make a goal to accomplish by spring. You can do that in observation or in memory, and in some ways even in imagination. But in this part, you got to be willing to do some heavy lifting. It's going to take a while here. 
Many people will turn their backs just as they cross the bridge into this land or come through the portal. It's where we meet our expressive self, there's a commitment that has to happen. And that's part of what motivated me to start Starling as a new way to communicate with other people who might be trying to explore this territory. Personal expression is ever-evolving. It's elusive, and the landscape is constantly changing. It takes great courage, awareness, and attention to work from or become aware of this space. Now, we can all recognize masters of this when we see it or hear it or read it, because the authenticity behind works made here in expression ring like a bell. It calls the viewer or participant to come close and witness this realm that is only visible through this small little lens or peephole. There's a Duchamp work. It's one of his last pieces that you have to go look through this little hole to see this thing he created. Um, and it may take multiple experiences of working with that. The viewer might have to go back over and over to begin to gain an understanding of it. But that's why we do. That's why we keep going back to works by these geniuses over and over again. When I think of music by John Cage or David Bowie or films by David Lynch or the work of the Surrealist painters, especially lately for me, the work of Remedios Vero, there is something deeper going on in that work. And as an outsider looking in, I really long to understand it. Because if I can see that relationship that this artist has to their expression, maybe it'll help me understand my own. Visionary expressive work probably feels pretty lonely to make. I think of Hilma of Klimt working on her secret collection that she was divinely inspired to create, and she knew no one else was going to understand it. It's heavy, individualized soul work when we spend time here in expression. Yet, I can only assume the immense, rewarding feeling that one might have to stand back and look at something and be able to say, yep, that's mine, that's my voice, that's exactly what I'm trying to communicate. And this is what I have to offer the grand creation that I know we are all a part of. I want to be able to do that. Sometimes I look at art like a hand-selected, arranged bouquet that we made to give a performer at the end of a theatrical show. Only we're making this as a way to honor our own experience, our own place, our own momentary existence in this great thing we call human existence. And the flowers that we pick and put into it, they can only come from where we are, only grown in, in our own place. And they only last for a short period of time because that's what flowers do. And this is the kind of work we must be willing to develop when we're working here in expression. It's ours. It's only ours, and it's fleeting, and we have to be there and be ready when we're able to express it. So, travelers, that's the map as I see it right now. And this is just an overview of the territory I've been exploring and what I've charted so far in this expedition into art making and creative living. Maybe we should compare maps. I bet yours has some different spots on it. At this point in the trip, I think that you should look over the locations that we've covered and decide where you need to spend more time to deepen and enrich your creative practice. While 
This seems like a linear process. Don't be fooled. Uh, the creative process isn't linear. And in this case, I suggest maybe it's a spiral and that there are portals and doors to mysterious lands. You probably should get food and lodging in whichever area you plan to explore more thoroughly. And I know that there are guides available in many places throughout the territory. In the area of expression, though, you must embark on your own, under cover of night and with only the basic necessities. So let's make a plan. Let's meet back here in a week and we can see what you found and what you've created. If you do work in this at all, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out on Instagram at the Starling Creative, on Twitter at Art Teacher Amy, on Facebook at Starling Creative Living. Let me know what you're discovering and what you're mapping, what you find here in these artistic realms. Maybe there are other places I haven't even seen yet, so I'd love to find out about them. Uh, I have created some content around this episode, and I'll invite you to connect with that. Uh, I will add a link in the show notes that will take you to my website, Starling Creative Living, where you'll find a blog page that has links to an actual illustration of the map that I made uh, that we just walked through, an infographic that I hang in my classroom about the components that we pick up and develop in each of the four areas we are exploring. And of course, I have created a playlist that goes through each of these lands in the order we explored them. Maybe listening to that and setting the mood will help you create from whichever landscape you're working in. I want to thank you for being here with me. I hope you enjoyed the tour and that it was an okay tour guide. I hope that you find what you're looking for in this amazing landscape of the artistic realms and enjoy your process. <laughs>